over the years, there's a, a verse in Scripture that's been important to me, and I've thought about it and pondered it and meditated on it for a number of years. It's the one that you probably have heard from, from the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. Uh, one thing, I, I just want to mention this before we get into the teaching. I want to teach on Habakkuk, on the prophet, his message. If you have your Bibles, you might open them to the, the Old Testament, Habakkuk. One thing about the Bible is that it's relevant up to the current day. And it's, I don't care what you are interested in, you'll find it in the Bible. Do you want a, a sex scandal? You can find it in Life of David. You don't have to go to the bookstore and get Bill Clinton's books. I mean, this, this is up to the date. Do you want terrorism? You can find it in here. Do you want, I mean, and, and the Bible is, is so up to date, it talks even about where we are as a nation and where we are as people of God. And the United States, I don't know how you think, but the United States has had a heritage of Christian background. And I think, as, as we've has already been mentioned, that we need to pray for our country because we stand on the verge of being changing from, from a, in God we trust to in man we trust a nation. And I think it's a sad, a, sad, a sad day. But the Bible is very current and up-to-date. And you'll find everything from what man is like inside to what the world is like to the needs that, that we have spiritually and to the solution that God has. But this phrase in, in uh, Habakkuk that you find in chapter 2 and verse 14, that, that was my, my study for the, since about January for a couple of months. And as I started thinking about it and, and pondering it in more in depth than what I had had in the past, uh, I, I came to study the book of Habakkuk. And so I want to speak on the, the whole book if we can, for the next few minutes. And uh, when we get to 2.14, we'll spend a little bit more time on that verse. But you might want to turn to that first, and we'll just read through several of the verses beginning in the first chapter, and uh, stop as we, as we find things to comment about, and then go on uh, from there. Habakkuk was written in the same time, as, or same time era as, as Zephaniah, Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Daniel and these people were contemporaries. Jeremiah and Habakkuk probably written in, at about almost the same time, about not, uh, 605 or 606 before Christ. So 2,500 years ago this was being written. And I want to, as I was reading through the, through the book earlier this year, I saw the, the current status of, of the world as being very visible in this, in this book that was written 2,500 years ago. It was written just a few years before the nation of Babylon came in and devoured the land. There was three different deportations of the people that they took out, 606 or 605, the first one, and then 597 and I think 586, they came and destroyed the temple and all of that was there and it was laid waste by the Babylonian people. But this is the message that Habakkuk saw from the Lord. We don't know much about him except what's in this book. And I want to read the first four verses so you might look in your Bible. I have the New American Standard. You might have a different version, but this is what this version says. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And wilt thou not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, 
yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Is that current? Now, in Bolivia, where we are, we see this all the time. Violence. The, the problems of the world are they are thrust into us from the television. They're on the front page of the newspaper. It's in our cities, in our streets, in Bolivia. We live in a city called Cochabamba, about the size of Wichita, maybe 450,000, 500,000 people. They have, in a, all of that city, about 80,000 vehicles for all the people that live there, which isn't very, very many compared to the United States. But, you know, every month there are 40 vehicles stolen. And the, 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 they, catch, they catch about one out of every ten. And the rest are all chopped up and, and sold as parts. Um, people break into houses. We have to have house sitters in their house. Or if we didn't, the things would walk away. I mean, we live in that kind of a society, and maybe it's more evident for us. Uh, maybe you have heard, or uh, last year when our baby Grace was born, um, it was a difficult time for us because where we live, there across the street, uh, it was a, it was a spiritual uh, attack against us in in a lot of ways, but we had a threat against our family. And I came home the day after Gracie was born to find a note that was written in hand. It said, "You have to turn twenty five thousand dollars, or we'll kill your children, and your wife." And that didn't make me feel very good. But you know. That's the age we live in. And the Lord provided for us through that. It was a difficult time. And even thinking about it still, we, we know who did it. He wrote the note. Um, he still lives around us. They didn't put him in jail. He's, he's been free. And so my wife and my children, we, we still are concerned about them some. But you know, the Lord is faithful even in that. But here was Habakkuk. And I want to just bring out a couple of characteristics about that we can see from him. He was a man that lifted his voice to God for the world situation around him. And I was thankful for the prayer. You know, how, much of, how many of us have, have spent time crying out to God? He says, how long, O Lord? It, it indicates that, that he has had a regular practice of prayer, a regular time that he opened his mouth and cried to the Lord concerning the wickedness that he saw. And I ask myself, as I read this, um, how much do I cry out? It, it has become so standard to see this stuff on the TV screens and around us that it doesn't phase us anymore. Oh, you know, the beheadings in Iraq, that, that's, that's, a, that's a new step up. And it takes something, a new step up to, to make us feel anymore the, the pain. And, and the, otherwise, it, it, it just is one more headline that goes by and we somehow have lost the sense that this generation we live in needs people to cry out to God. We, we, we need people like Habakkuk who could say, how long, Lord, can I cry to you? And you don't do anything. Now, he was complaining, and, that, and that's fine in a prayer. And, and I, I, don't, I complain too. I complain too much sometimes. But at the same time, 
we need people who will complain before God, who will cry out for our country, or not even for our country, but just for our society and our world that is so filled with all of these things that we see around us. And sometimes I think our hearts have been hardened. We see it with our eyes, but we don't see the spiritual tragedy that's occurring as we catch all these things being blared at us from all the different uh, media that we, that we have in our homes and in our world. But then I would ask, you know, do I do this? And in Ezekiel, about the same, he was written, Ezekiel was written probably after Habakkuk and after they were deported. But in Ezekiel 22.30 it says, you know, God was looking for a man to stand in the breach. And he didn't find anyone. And I wonder in the church today, we have mega churches and we have small churches and people who, who find all sorts of means to worship God. Praise and prayer, and that's good. But God, I think, is looking for someone who spiritually is willing to stand up and make a difference, to cry out, as Habakkuk did. But evidently for Ezekiel, in Ezekiel's time, God said to him, you know, I have not found that man yet. And I, I wonder, you know, how much, how, can, how much concern do I, do I have more than just for my, for my own family when something happens to me? How much concern do I have that, that our country... And here he was talking about the, the, the Judean, the people of Judah, who were God's own people. And he says, look, among your own people, Lord, there is this violence, injustice, wickedness, strife exists. I wonder in the church of God. We cry out against it, things that are going on in our world. That's, but I, even in the church of God, I wonder. You know, I, I recently heard on, on the family radio that wife and, and, and spousal abuse is rampant in the church. And it's, we don't hear about it, but it is. And, and all these things, and God is looking for people who are willing to fall on their knees and cry out. How long, Lord, will these things last? And I have to confess that I, having gone through this and speaking to you now, I have not made that a regular practice. I have not made a regular practice. And, and I've been convicted of that in these months in, the last, in this year. Well, we know that those things happen. And God is looking for those type of people who will stand in the gap. Who will cry out to God for his justice to come. For his people. And Habakkuk got an answer from God. And here's another thing. God answers prayer. It isn't always the way we want. And it wasn't the way that Habakkuk expected or wanted either. And we're going to read to verse 11. And here's God's reply. You want injustice, Habakkuk? You have it. Look among the nations. Observe and be astonished and wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe, even if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. The the Chaldeans, that fierce, impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. 
They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate within themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar and they fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. Now, as I, as I read this, I can't help, and, and I, I, I don't want to say that this is what it means for us today, but I can't help to think of the Islamic nation as I think of this. Hordes and a violent people. You know, Islam is not a peaceful religion. It is not. But all these things that we see happening in our world, not, not just the United States, but in our world, and they're not all originating from Islamic uh, origin, but a lot of them from the Arabic Middle Eastern nations, a lot of them are Arabs or from the Islamic nations. And I, I just throw that out because in our world situation, as we look at this, God said, I'm going to take this Babylonian people who have no God except themselves, their own gods, they make their own laws, they're dreaded and feared, and if you will look in history, the Babylonian nation was, up until the time of, of the, their demise in about another hundred years from now, in the time Habakkuk was written, the Babylonian people were a terrible nation. I mean, they swept in and they devoured the kingdoms and princes and people before them. And they were not held back by anyone. And God said to Habakkuk, now here was his his question. He said, God, I have cried out for the injustice that I see in the streets of Jerusalem and and Judah. And God said, I'm going to punish them, but I'm going to use a people that wicked, that terrible, that the nations are fearful of to bring my people to their knees before me, to bring justice back to the earth. And I think we can say, as we look at the United States and our our current situation, was it not possible that God can look at the church of Jesus Christ in the West and see the pride and arrogance and the strife and struggles that many of the churches are, I say churches to mean here, mainline nominal churches are going through, some of the ungodly divisions that are occurring. And God may be saying to the church in the West or to the United States as a country, he may be saying, look, I'm going to raise up a people that are fierce, ungodly, that have no religion except their own to bring justice to the church of God and to bring us to our knees. And he did that with Judah. He did it with Judah. And those people came. But Habakkuk was saying, look, or God was saying to Habakkuk, look, you will be amazed at what I'm going to do. If you want to see justice in this world, look at what I'm doing. You'll be amazed and wonder. And the Babylonian people were a fierce and terrible people. And then God, and then Habakkuk had another question. He said, Lord, is that fair? That's basically what he's asking. Verse 11, or verse 12 to verse uh, 
Here's, here's what Habakkuk is complaining again, or he's not so much complaining, but he's, he's, he's reminding God. And here's another character, characteristic about Habakkuk. He knew who his God was like. And I wonder if the church in America, if, if I know what my God is like, really. But here's what he says, verse 12. O God, art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, my Holy One, we will not die. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, hast established them to correct. He's speaking about the Babylonian people. He says, Lord, you've, you've put those Babylonian people that are terrible people to correct us. And then verse 13, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Why then do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? He's saying, in in short words, he's saying, Lord, it doesn't seem just that you're using a wicked people to bring your people, who, who are bad enough, a people more wicked than us to, to, to justice. And that's what he was saying. Now look, I want you to look and see his, his understanding of the person of God. Oh Lord, that's the that's name for Yahweh. Yahweh, the name of, of, of eternal God. Art thou not from everlasting? A God eternal with a name, a personal name, Yahweh, revealed. Not that we can find it out, but he revealed it. You are my God, my Holy One. Habakkuk had a personal relationship with this God, and he knew him well. You are my Holy One, my God. Thou, O rock. Rock is like a fortress, a place of safety, a place of, of, of refuge. And this is what his God was like. And then it says, verse 13, your eyes are too pure to behold evil. And I wonder sometimes if the church, if, if I, even myself, have not placed God a little bit lower than what Habakkuk's God was like. A holy God that can't even look on the wickedness in the world. He can't even see it because he dwells in light that cannot be approached. An everlasting, eternal God. A rock that cannot be moved from who he is. Yahweh, a personal God. Habakkuk said, that's the kind of God you are like. And somehow God, it doesn't seem right. It seems like you're being maligning your own character by using a people like this Babylonian people to bring your nation, your people, to justice. That doesn't seem right, God. How can you use wickedness and evil and people like Osama bin Laden or these other terrorists? How can you, God? Is this in your plan? Surely not. But according to God's word, God was doing the very thing that it seems impossible for us to understand. Because God is God. 
And he doesn't fit into our molds that we like him to. He's an everlasting, eternal, holy, immeasurable God, a rock who cannot look upon evil. And yet, the evil exists, and God, somehow in his sovereignty, allows it. And what's more, he doesn't only allow it, but he uses it. Now, we don't like to think about that sometimes because it makes us really stretch ourselves to think how God can use evil. But we're going to get to that in a minute. We're not going to read the next few verses, but we'll come down here to verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, Habakkuk says, I've made my complaint. And I'm going to stand by and see what God says and what he does. So he's, he's basically made two complaints. The first complaint was this. He said, God, I have been crying out to you for all this injustice and evil and wickedness and the terrible things that go on among your people. And God said, oh, Habakkuk, I'm going to bring justice to my people. I'm going to, I'm going to restore them, but I will bring justice to them. And they might have some problems with me doing that because I'm going to bring a people that are ungodly to do it. And Habakkuk says, but God, that's not fair. Isn't that a malignment against your character? Aren't you above that to use evil for your purposes? Well, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to sit on my rampart and see what God says. Okay? Now, that's, 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 what, that's the end of what Habakkuk says. And then the Lord answered, Verse 2, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. And here's the verse, four, verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. And this was God's reply. And then he goes on. We're going to stop there for a few minutes and, and consider these verses. God says, I've made my choice. I'm already determined that it's going to happen. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. It will certainly come. It will not delay. He's speaking here about the use of a wicked people to correct his own nation. And that's what Habakkuk was complaining about. And then it comes up here and says, verse 4, the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And other versions that might say the just shall live by faith. Now I want to speak about that, those, that, that verse. There's three words in there that carry tremendous theological, spiritual significance. The righteous will live by faith. This, it it could arguably be said that this verse is the foundation for all of the Reformation and almost all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. In fact, 
we're going to read in three different places in the New Testament where Paul used this verse as the basis for a commentary on the book of Habakkuk. And basically the book of Romans. The whole book of Romans was written to talk about what it means to be just or what it means to be righteous. I want you to turn to Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. The righteous, the just, the ones who are accepted, the just. Now, I would ask you and I ask myself, who among us is just? And, and we know the answer to that. Who among us is righteous? Um, none. Basically, Paul's argument is, who is just? There's no one. Romans 10, or Romans 3.10. trying to think of what it says. Romans 3.10, and there's none righteous, not, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. They've all turned away. Who among us is just or can say that we're just? And yet it says here, the just shall live by faith. The just. And all of the book of Romans, the, the, the key to the book of Romans is verses 16 and 17 of the first chapter. Let me turn to it here. Um, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, here's the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, he hasn't explained the gospel yet, but he's going to. But here it is. In in, in a nutshell, here's what he's saying. And all the rest of the book of Romans is a commentary on this verse. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. None of us are righteous. Not even one. There's not anyone seeks God. And that's a hard thing to say because we like to think, man, I like, I, I like to think, man, I seek after God. But I ask myself, as a non-Christian, did I ever seek God or did he seek me? And the answer is, he sought me. Because as a non-Christian, before I came to faith in Christ, I had no interest in spiritual things. And in fact, the Bible teaches that we cannot even begin to approach God. Even, in, even if we wanted to, we couldn't. But here it says, Paul's gospel, the just shall live by faith. Uh, where was I? As it is written, oh, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, there's a saving faith and all of us, I, I hope and trust, have come into a place where we have been declared just by God. Okay, But then there's a progressive faith and we're going to talk about that too. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous. Who is the righteous one? Certainly not me in my own life. But it seems to me, and the church of God has gotten off base because we approach God on our own righteousness sometimes. And I, I, I find myself thinking that I'm pretty good. <laughs> and I get brought back to basics here. The righteousness I have has been imputed to me. But now a righteousness apart from the law has come upon those who believe. And it's God's justice that gives that, that I have. If I have any justice at all or any righteousness at all is because of what Jesus Christ, the righteous one, did for me. And I ask myself as, as I speak and I, and I preached this sermon in Spanish in, um, a couple months ago, you know, who are we here? Are we living in our own justice and righteousness? 
Or do we have the righteousness that God gives through faith in his son? Through faith in the, in the only righteous one. That's the kind of righteous one that Habakkuk is talking about here. And that Paul is talking about. How are we made righteous? Not by our own works. Not by the works of the law, unless any man should boast. But it is God who has declared us righteous by the work of his son, Jesus. And I think the church has ignored that and has gotten past that some way. And, and Bolivia is a, is a Catholic country. And I think in, in a Catholic context, and maybe some of you come out of Catholic context, the church is, in, in the United States, there seems to be a, a, a desire from the inner church faiths to kind of put together what we hold in common and, and kind of come together. And, and all of the, the ritual of the Catholic faith and the Protestants coming together again. And, and it seems like that's kind of been a, a, a in, the, in the works for a number of years. And a lot of um, churches are going back to liturgy, it seems like. And I'm talking about traditional churches and others that are, that are trying to find a common ground but the Catholic Church faith in Bolivia, and I think as well here, it depends on man. It, 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 takes, it takes a righteousness of the church and Jesus. It takes the works of a priest and Christ. And I think the Protestant evangelical churches and, and the independent churches ought not to be caught up in trying to find common ground with with all the different evangelical churches just because we, that, that's not really the unity that God wants from his people. We need to be careful because when we try to find common ground, often it becomes just a common muddle. And, and we, can't, we, we, try, we, we sort out the things that are important. And, they, they were, and for sake of being unity with other churches in, in what we can say and agree upon, we, we throw out some of the things that, that are important. So we need to be careful that we don't throw out that the just are made just only on the basis of the works of Jesus Christ. And so going back to Habakkuk, okay? As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Now notice the proud one, and now I'm not sure, and it can refer to either, it could be the, the proud one being the Jewish people who are proud of their identity, or it could be the, prou- the pride of this nation invading their pride that they have. Um, it's the opposite of righteousness. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous are the ones who have a right attitude, right heart to God, before God. And I think there's a lot of pride in our churches and a lot of pride in the, in the American context of a, of a Christian nation. And not always is bad, but I think, I think there is sometimes too much pride. And we think, or I think, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. We need to get over that. I need to get over that. But the righteous will live. I want to speak about the word living. And we might look at Galatians chapter 3, um, and starting in verse 10, or maybe even back up a bit before that. Galatians chapter 3. Here's another book written by Paul that is a commentary on this verse. Paul found a lot of space to write over these few words. And whatever I say this morning is far less than what Paul has said. But 
the book of Galatians, really, if, if you boil it down, it says, what are we doing? Having started by faith in the Spirit, how are we living? Galatians chapter 3. Let's start back here, verse 6. So Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. There it is, the the justice or righteousness that was imputed to Abraham. Therefore, to be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. It talks about the faith as well, and the just shall live by faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. There it is again. And the, the context of Galatians, you can almost compare it. For as Romans was the just, how to be just before God Galatians talks about how we should then live. As being children of God, justified by faith, how shall we live? The just shall live. And Galatians talks about living in the Spirit. It says, having begun in the Spirit, are you going to continue in works of the flesh? Or are you going to continue in the faith of the Spirit? How are you living as a Christian? We talked a little bit before. It's from faith to faith. There's a saving faith where you are initiated into the children, the family of God by faith. That's a one-time thing that God imputes to us to his righteousness and we become his children and we're given the spirit. And then it says, from faith to faith. And we go on from there and we walk in the spirit. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, or, or here, from, we can talk in the, the whole chapter talks about the life in the spirit. How do we live? Are we living in the flesh? Are we trying to please God by our works again? Having begun in, this, in that God did everything for us, that we did nothing for our own salvation, are we still trying to do something to please God? Verse 1 in chapter 5, It was for freedom that God set us free. Do not keep standing, or do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And I wanted to read verse um, 16, But this I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. But if you're led by the Spirit, how are you walking? How are you walking? In, how are you living? Are you living in the Spirit? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We don't have to conform to the laws, rituals, traditions of man. But how are we to live? Um, but the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives. Five twenty-two. And then I wanted to read also Galatians two twenty. How are we to live? Verse 20. I, I know it by heart when I'm trying to read it here. And it says, Galatians, oh, here we are. How are we to live? Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. How are we to live? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Paul saw what Habakkuk saw 2,000 years before, or 500 years before. The just shall live in a new realm, a realm of faith, a realm of the Spirit, a realm of being continually crucified with Christ, continually putting to death the self-nature. And that's how we are to live as Christians. We're justified by the faith, by the, by, the son, by the works of Christ, and we're to live by the Spirit. The just shall live by faith. And now I want to go on back to Habakkuk chapter, chapter 4, 2, or 2, 4 again. The just shall live by faith. There's one more word there. And that word you can find in Hebrews chapter 10. And if you're familiar with Hebrews, you know that a great deal of Hebrews talks about the faithfulness of those who are called of God, about the faith that is ours and in what, how we should walk, the faith in which we should live. But I just want to read that and then make a few comments and go on to, through the, a bit more. Um, verse 30. Okay, verse 37. For yet, in a, of chapter 10 of Hebrews, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by his faith. There it is again. And from this point on, I think, or, or for quite a bit of it, the writer of Hebrews is making a commentary again on this great statement from Habakkuk, the just shall live. And he's making a comment about the faith that we should have. What is the faith that we have and that we hold? You know, it's, no man can please God unless they have faith. Hebrews 10, or 11, 6. It's impossible to please God. But faith is being assured of that which we do not see and, and it's being assured of that which we hope for. And it's being convinced of things that God has promised that we've not yet seen. And as you read through that, all the way to verse 39 in that great chapter of faith in Hebrews, chapter 11. It says, these men were stoned, verse 37, they were sawn into, they were tempted, they were put to death. They went in sheepskin and goatskins being destitute. Sometimes we think faith is, is, a, is a nice thing here. But it really isn't always treated in, in, by the world as what uh, sometimes we kind of make it out to be. Men of whom the world was not worthy, speaking of these great men of faith, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now let me say something here. That still is true today by a great many Christians in persecuted nations and countries. But all these, having gained approval through their faith, they, they had the faith that, that Habakkuk was talking about, how they should live. They lived by faith, and they lived. They truly lived by faith. Um, they did not receive what was promised. How do we live? If these great men of faith, all the way up to the writer of Hebrews, never received what was promised, but they lived in the faith that God was going to do what he had promised, trusting God. Now let me go on to the last verse there. The faith that these men had. They didn't receive what was promised in that time because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You know, these great men of God are waiting yet 
for the redemption of their bodies. That faith which holds all of us together as a common ground, that there will be a resurrection, that there will be something beyond the world we live in. And these great men of faith, they didn't see it, but they believed it and trusted God. And that's what we should do in the midst of all the difficulties of life. You know, we have, we have it pretty easy in America, most of us. But, you know, I, where we live, my wife and I, there are people, families, they don't know from day to day. And they're Christians. Where their meal is coming from. But they live by faith. But their faith is not in the temporal things of this world, but their faith is put in God, who is faithful. And their confidence is in that which they have not yet seen. So here's God's answer. Habakkuk, are you complaining because I'm doing something that I want to do? (coughs) Habakkuk, you need to understand, I'm not going to let my character go to pot. And he won't. But I will use who I will use. Now, if we will look, I'm not going to read this, except for one verse, going on from there, um, chapter, back at chapter 2. Basically, in, from verses 6 to the end of chapter 2, God says to Habakkuk, five woes. You can read them for yourself. In verse 6, it says, Woe to him. He's talking about the Babylonian people. Woe to the Babylonian nation. Chapter 9. Woe to him who gains evil. That's Babylonian nation to the Chaldean, the people. Verse 12. Woe to those who build a city with bloodshed. He's talking about the, the woe that's going to come upon this great empire that, that was going to come and, and destroy uh, Judah. Uh, verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink. And then verse uh, 19, the fifth woe. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, or the idolatry of that nation. God says, look, Habakkuk, evil may triumph for a while, but I'm going to bring destruction to them. Woe to you, Babylon. Woe. And Babylon was a proud people. And they, they the hordes of the Babylon Chaldeans came through and they swept over the land. And they took away the people from Judah to, to a faraway nation, or their own country. And God said, I'm using them, but woe to them, because I'm going to destroy them. But I want you to look in verse 14, particularly. In the midst of all this woes upon Babylon, God says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You know, God uses wickedness and evil. He did not create it. He is not the author of evil. He cannot be tempted with evil. He he is even too pure to look upon it, but he uses it. All of the twistedness and corruption of mankind that the devil will throw at us to cause us to doubt God, God will use it for his his honor and glory. And even from this wicked nation, the Babylonian people, God says, I will use them to lift up my name, my purpose, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. How does God do that? It's beyond me. 
But I want you to know that it was not the first time that it was mentioned. Because Paul in Romans, the book of Romans, says that Pharaoh, the wicked king who, who opposed God, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt, Romans uh, chapter 9 and verse 17 says that of this man, Pharaoh, God, the very purpose of his existence, the reason he was lifted up to be ruler of nations, was that God's glory might be distributed through him. And is it possible that through these terroristic acts and the evil in this world, God is going to receive honor and glory? I believe it is. Because God is not limited to those who are good, to using only those who are his own children. But the, the thoughts of a king are turned to and fro by the God himself of the universe. And so God is able to use even the evil of this Babylonian empire and the evil of today to bring the knowledge of his glory to the nations. And I believe we're going to see that. I believe that out of all the evil and wickedness in the world, we will see a greater knowledge and a greater spread of the gospel and a greater lifting up of Jesus Christ. I believe that. This is God's purpose. Isaiah, you might want to look in cross-reference. Isaiah 42, verse 8. Turn back in your Bible just to... You can even start in verse 5. And this is a commentary again on... on, on the glory of God and his character. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness and I hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and a light to the nations to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And here's the verse I wanted to mention. I am the Lord. That is my name. The Lord there is Yahweh. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God has a glorious name. And his purpose, beyond saving us from the sin that we're in, his purpose above and beyond that is that his name would be lifted up. And out of this chapter that Habakkuk's reading, and his complaint was to God, God, why are you using this wicked people? And Habakkuk, the just, shall live by faith. I am using this people to bring the knowledge of the glory of God so that they will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I think Habakkuk, I think if he wasn't already, his mouth was stopped. And I want to read his prayer, chapter 3. I think he understood a little bit. And I, I don't know if we understand, but I think, I think Habakkuk kind of understood that God can use anything he wants for his glory and honor. And he will. But then here's a prayer of Habakkuk. Chapters, verse, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Oh God, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In wrath, remember mercy. And here was his Habakkuk 
He had cried out, saying, Lord, it's not just your character of your holiness and your person is being maligned by this wicked people. And God says, I'm using them for my glory and honor. And Habakkuk says, that's very good. May you be praised. But, oh God, revive your work in our country. Oh God, revive our work, your work. In your wrath, have mercy, God. Habakkuk said, I, hear thy, I heard the report about you, and I fear. I wonder sometimes if we have taken the meaning away from the word fear in the Bible. We don't fear God as we ought. Habakkuk, hearing what God was going to do, said, I fear, I tremble. Oh God, in your wrath against your nation and your people, please, oh God, have mercy. Remember mercy. Oh God, can we cry like that before God? Knowing that God may bring judgment upon his own people from whatever source, I don't know. But, oh God, renew your work in the midst of years. And in your wrath, have mercy, oh God. Habakkuk knew that God had decreed that this would happen. And this history tells us that in the year 539, the Medo-Persian, or the Persian Cyrus, came and against the nation of, of Babylon and entered the city and Babylon fell in one night. And God destroyed Babylon. Then I, I'm not going to read the next section. It's a psalm of power. It's a psalm that Habakkuk wrote praising God. We're not going to read it but we're going to go on to the end almost. Verse 18 or actually verse 17, start in verse 17. In the end of it all, after Habakkuk had heard God's reply, he put his confidence back in God. Verse 17. No, I'll start in verse 16. I heard my inward parts trembled, the sound of my lips quivered, decay enters my bones. He was, he was literally shaking, I think, from what God was going to do against the people that he loved. And in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people who will arise will invade us. He knew that God would not relent. And in the next year or two after he wrote this, the Babylonians came and took away a great number of people. But here's his prayer, his, his confidence in God. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food and there be no cattle. Oh, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. What a marvelous statement of confidence. Knowing that God was going to act and, had, and would not relent. He said, Habakkuk, I'm going to use this wicked, evil empire against my people. And it's going to be terrible. But they will be judged. I will receive honor and glory. And Habakkuk said, I'm waiting, quivering for that day. I don't want it. 
I've prayed, oh God, revive your work. In your wrath, remember me in mercy. But I will exalt in the Lord. Though the nations come against us and there's no fruit, there's no cattle, there's no food in the house, I will exalt in the God and rejoice in his salvation. For God is my strength. You know, we come to a turning point in the United States, I think. We may very well find. It may not be, I'm just saying things, it's not here in the scriptures. But we may very well find that as a Christian people, as a church, the true church of God, that there will be problems. And God may bring forth wrath upon us and upon his people. But we can be confident of this. He will get honor and glory in that. Because the just shall live by faith. And if we're faithful, though there's nothing that is pleasant in what we see, we can exult in God of our salvation. For he is our strength. That's, that's my thoughts and my ideas from these passages that I've kind of looked at for the past couple of months. And I, I, you know, I, I said a couple of things, and, and I don't want to, I'm not a prophet, I, I don't want to say anything beyond that, you know, we stand at a point, a turning point. And where are the people that will stand in the gap to cry out for God? To bring justice to our nation. Where are, where are the people like Habakkuk who know their God? his character, and cries out because we see the name of God being maligned. But even in that, God will not let his name be dishonored. He will not give his glory to another person. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are sovereign in all things and even In this wicked world, nothing occurs but what you have ordained it and allowed it. And so we can trust in you and confidently come into your presence. But Lord, we come also with sometimes embarrassment because we have not understood always what it means means to walk in faith. And sometimes, Lord, we have not stood up against the evil and have not even been threatened by it or even felt ashamed for the wickedness that goes on even in your church and so God we come confessing our sins this morning as well as boldly to approach you for your mercy in our lives we accept God that we have sinned and that we are part of the problem as much sometimes as the solution and in the church of God Father we cry out for it before you asking you, Father, for your people. And Lord, if you would bring judgment on the church of God, help us to in faith live as a people justified by the righteous one, Jesus Christ, as you desire. And Father, I would pray for our country again and for your people in our country that we might rise up and stand in the gap. And Father, if you're looking for people to be intercessors for America, 
and for your people, the church of God. Let us be the ones. Father, I ask you that we might let the truth of this word this morning speak to us so that, Father, we can go from here determined to follow you in obedience. And I would pray as Habakkuk prayed, O God, in your wrath, remember mercy and revive your work in the midst of years. And I thank you, our Father, because we can exult and we can rejoice in the God of our salvation, even in the midst of all the difficulties that we see around us. And so we thank you and praise you, our Father, thanking you because you're a God that is good and you will receive honor and glory in this nation through what you're doing. In Jesus' name.